if you want to do evil in the world, the Roman Catholic Church is the ultimate institution to infiltrate and take over when you really think about it. Ladies and gentlemen, you know And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. What is going on, my friends? This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com, with another edition of BOA Audio Season 5. Only have one in-house note for you, and it is a fun one and a big one for those folks who enjoyed the Lost cast, and that is that... The spinoff program to the Lost Cast that we teased at the end of our series finale, this one simply titled The Popcast Initiative, a 13-episode run of popular culture discussion, myself and Jeremy Vaney, as well as special guests along the way here throughout the rest of the summer going into the fall. So for folks who enjoy BOA Audio, want to hear a little more, want to hear a little lighthearted sort of behind-the-scenes style of program, you definitely want to tune in to the Popcast Initiative. Full details will be available at Ben All of America. Stay tuned. Now, let's get down to business here on this week's edition of the program. It is a wild one, folks. Our guest is longtime occult researcher William H. Kennedy, and he's joining us to discuss really an eclectic mix of esoteric topics. Definitely the dark underbelly of esoterica. Some creepy, creepy stuff in here, folks. This is really an interesting episode in a lot of ways. I'm sort of just billing it as William H. Kennedy's occult observations because I really didn't go into it with one specific topic in mind. He is a masterful researcher who has just a monstrous amount of material at his website, WilliamHKennedy.com. I mean, this thing is a storehouse of esoteric and occult information and he's collected this all he's been researching the occult for decades so he has come to some really interesting conclusions about what it all means where it's all headed and what the hell is really going on here in the world some of the topics we're going to be talking about and these are really just tent poles but we're going to be covering the satanic infiltration of the catholic church William H. Kennedy's friendship with the late Father Malachi Martin, the impending emergence of a new world order. We're going to get some startling and troubling information about the human trafficking phenomenon. This is just terrifying stuff. And we'll get William H. Kennedy's thoughts on UFOs, secret societies, hidden occult messages in the mainstream, and tons more dark elements of esoterica. This one is a wildly entertaining edition of the program, my friends. I'm thinking that the BOA Audio listeners are going to really enjoy this conversation here with a lifelong researcher of the occult who is not afraid to examine the dark underbelly of esoterica, William H. Kennedy. Make sure you don't listen to this one in the dark, folks, because you are going to be tweaked out as the conversation goes along. For those of you who are unfamiliar with William H. Kennedy, allow me to provide you with a little background on him. 
William H. Kennedy is a writer and speaker on paranormal and religious topics. He's produced articles for academic journals such as Sophia, the Journal of Traditional Studies, and popular magazines like New Dawn. He authored Lucifer's Lodge, Satanic Ritual Abuse in the Catholic Church, Satanic Crime, A Threat in the New Millennium, and Occult History, Collected Writings, 1994 to 2008. He is a popular guest on television and radio programs in the United States, Canada, and Europe, and he's appeared on The Learning Channel, Meridian News in the UK, Kerrang! Radio in the UK, A Closer Look, Radio Liberty, The Alex Jones Show, The Jeff Rents Program, Deadline Live, as well as The X-Zone in Canada, among others. His website is www.williamhkennedy.com. I can't put over this website enough. It is jam-packed with stuff. You could go and visit this website, and you'll be there for hours to days to weeks and possibly months just digging through all the material that William H. Kennedy has collected at his website. Pretty simple, all one word, easy to find, williamhkennedy.com. Check it out. And now, without any further ado, let's get down to business and rock and roll. This interview was recorded on June 30th, 2010. William H. Kennedy and his Occult Observations on BOA Audio Season 5. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Been All of America Audio. We have a very cool guest on the line for you here this week. He is William H. Kennedy, a longtime researcher of the occult and has just a magnificent website that is just so rich with information that you could probably spend a week to a month on there and not even be done looking at all the stuff that he has on his website, WilliamHKennedy.com. And he's also got, I believe it's a podcast now, SphinxRadio.com as well. And we're going to be talking about his research into the occult, some current event stuff, the uh, the whole satanic element to the Catholic Church, and, and just a whole bunch of crazy stuff. So I'm looking forward to it. William H. Kennedy, a Massachusetts guy like me, he's from Everett, so I'm very excited. Uh, right, a stone throw from BOA HQ. Always good to have someone local on the program. Welcome to the show, William H. Kennedy. Very nice to be here, Tim. I really like... Um... B-O-A or BOA, as we call it, like a BOA constrictor, <laughs> there you as go. we call it in the paranormal field. <laughs> That's BOA for you. We're, we're uh, constricting our way around the paranormal field, that's for sure. We'll talk a little bit about your background. I was surprised as I looked more into your stuff that you've been in this for quite a while, and, and that's exciting in and of itself. But like, talk a little bit about you know who is William H. Kennedy how did you get interested in the paranormal and, you know, what areas of the paranormal, occult, esoteric are particularly of interest to you? Well, very good. I'm uh, 45 years old. I'm the youngest of eight children from a suburb of Boston you mentioned called Everett. And uh, I've been interested in the occult and the paranormal since I was uh, uh, my earliest memories are of watching a program called Dark Shadows, mm-hmm. which was a soap opera that was on in the afternoons about a vampire, Johnny Depp. The actor is actually making a revival of it. He's making some sort of film, I'm told. But my earliest memories were of watching this show about a vampire named Barnabas Collins. And this was when I was like two, three, four, five. 
And so by the time I started school, when I was like six or seven, I knew what a werewolf was and a vampire was, and I knew what a witch was, and I knew what uh, a tarot card reader was. So I, uh, it goes way, way back with me. And then in 1972, there was another television show that came on starring Gary Collins called The Sixth Sense. Now, that's not uh, a movie that is out. There's another movie with uh, Bruce Willis. Yeah. This was a series called The Sixth Sense with um, a whole ensemble cast, and it was about a paranormal researcher. It was roughly based on Hans Holzer, who was a ghost hunter. But uh, Gary Collins played a professional paranormal investigator in this show and it was eventually absorbed into Rod Serling's night gallery and at that young age I think I was like eight or nine years old I knew what I wanted to do with the rest of my life so (laughs) I I never had any um like anxiety or teenage angst or an identity crisis of any kind because even way, way back then, I knew I wanted to be like Gary Collins's character in the show The Sixth Sense. Now, uh, what I did then, I was only eight or nine, I raided my local library here, the Shoot Library in Everett, Massachusetts, and I started looking at books by people like uh, Brad Steiger and Hans Holzer and Colin Wilson and all of the old guard of the paranormal studies. I read all their stuff. I... um I read Brad Steiger's Atlantis Rising when I was eight years old, and it's quite interesting. Many years later, when I was in my 40s, Brad actually asked me to write the back cover blurb for the reissue of Atlantis Rising. So that that really had a lot. It it felt wonderful when he asked me that. I felt like a little boy again. Uh, now, the big thing where I got my really solid, solid occult education is in 1976, another program came on called In Search Of, starring mm-hmm. Leonard Nimoy. Oh, yeah. And that was a paranormal documentary show that Rod Serling was originally supposed to do it, but he died. And then they brought in Leonard Nimoy, who did a, an excellent job. And that ran for six years, and they did things like Bigfoot and UFOs, these mini documentaries. You can see a lot of them on YouTube now. They're very good. Yeah. And um, what I did, that was on for six years from 76 to 82 when uh, an episode came on, like say it was on alien abductions. I'd watch the show, then I'd go to eventually the Boston Public Library, and I'd look up a book on alien abductions or Bigfoot or mm-hmm. witchcraft, whatever they had. And um, I went to uh, Newman Prep, which is in the Back Bay in Boston. So uh, the their library is a Boston public library. So I lo- had a lot of access there. By the time I graduated high school at 17, I, uh, I re- had a really strong knowledge of occult history. Now, uh, from there, I went to university. I eventually graduated from San Francisco State University. I got my MA there, and uh, I studied very closely with Professor Jacob Needleman, who was an occult and mystical writer, and I was his teaching assistant. He's the first person I met who knew more about this 
esoteric stuff than I did. <laughs> yeah. And it was quite amazing. I was impressed with him. Uh, that was about 20 years ago I studied with him. And I, as I say, I was his teaching assistant, and he chaired my master's thesis committee, and we worked very closely. And I still keep in touch with him. He's been on my radio show, Sphinx Radio, a couple times. So uh, when I was out in California, I was out there for uh, two and a half years, 89 to about the end of 92, beginning of 93. But what I did while I was there, Needleman knew all of the major players in, I don't know what they're called, the New Age movement or the Human Potential movement, or there's no quite, there's not one name that yeah. really knocks that down. But I met, like, um, I worked with Arthur M. Young, who was an occult and esoteric writer. I met all the people at the Esalen Institute. I met Timothy Leary. Oh, wow. A very interesting, another guy from Massachusetts, very interesting fellow. But I met all of the major players who were still around from the 60s and 70s from the uh, roughly the, the New Age movement, for lack of a better term. Now, what I did from there is um, I set out to become a writer, and I didn't have a lot of success in my 20s. Back, This was before the days of the Internet, which you younger people are lucky to have. But I, uh, my first article was published in 1993 by R.A. Gilbert, who was a very famous British uh, esoteric writer. And from there, I started publishing articles for another guest you've had on this show named uh, Tracy R. Twyman. Oh, yeah. For her uh, online journal, Dago Bear's Revenge, which was the Da Vinci Code material before the Da Vinci Code came out. This was the, the big presence of the Da Vinci Code material on the Internet before Dan Brown came along. Yeah. And I wrote for that for a few years. And then a fellow who I met in California under Needleman named Houston Smith, who was at one time the head of MIT's philosophy department, he asked me to write an article for an esoteric journal called Sophia, the Journal of Traditional Studies. I wrote it on occult a, a history and a French philosopher named René Guénon, who was very active in the French occult revival uh, roughly around 1900. Now, I've always, as people can tell, I've always been outgoing and I like to meet other writers and other people in the esoteric field. And one of the people I met was uh, Father Malachi Martin. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. Well, I met him through Dr. Rama P. Kamora Swami, mm -hmm. who was a mutual friend of ours. He's another writer on religion. And I met uh, Malachi Martin originally in 1995. He actually called me. And in January of 1996, I went down to... Uh, New York City to meet him, and we had dinner, and uh, we had a wonderful rapport. We got along very well. And uh, one thing that stunned me when I went down there in early 1996, he said something uh, very bizarre, or I should qualify that. It sounded very bizarre at the time. He told me that Cardinal Bernard Law of Boston was running a pedophile ring and that some of these pedophile priests that Law was protecting were Satanists. 
Now, back then in 1996, that was like saying that uh, Cardinal Law was seen flying around in a UFO with Elvis Presley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, I was highly skeptical, and I told uh, Father Martin that. Father Martin was my priest as well. I'm, I'm a Roman Catholic myself. And um, I even used, uh, one time he called me, and I even used the word bullshit. <laughs> to, to, before Penn and Teller did, I did not believe what uh, Father Martin was telling me about this huge Vatican conspiracy. Now, just to fast forward a bit, Father Martin passed away in 1999, uh, for, you know, four years after I met him. He, he was very big on uh, Coast to Coast AM. He had like millions of listeners. He was actually more famous the last few years of his life than he ever was before. But uh, he passed away in 1999. And then in 2002, the Boston Globe broke a story, and you'll be familiar with this, Tim, because we live in the same area, as you said. Yeah. Uh, Cardinal Law was, in fact, running a pedophile ring. And this was in January of 2002, six years after uh, Father Martin told me this. Now, what I did over the next two years after that is I started to collect newspaper articles, primarily from the Boston Globe, Boston Herald, and Irish Times, about a pedophile priest. And what I did is I just waited to see if any occult or satanic uh, elements came up in any of the cases, and I, I didn't have to wait very long. And uh, just a, again, in 2004, I published a book called Lucifer's Lodge, Satanic Ritual Abuse in the Catholic Church for Sophia Perennis Press. And um, Tracy R. Twyman wrote the introduction to that book. People can get it for free as an ebook at williamhkennedy.com. It doesn't cost anything. And uh, what I did over that two-year period, as I said, I collected these news clippings and very quickly, the first satanic case that came up in the Archdiocese of Boston was uh, Monsignor Frederick J. Ryan, uh, who was one of Cardinal Law's aides. He took a boy and tattooed him with a devil figure and sexually abused him. Wow. Weird. <laughs> now, now uh, as you know, Tim, here in Massachusetts, this is a hot-button topic because some people were falsely sent to prison back in the 80s, the Amaralt family yeah, yeah. with the Fells Acre case. Yeah, well, and that was I, part of a much bigger sort of uh, satanic ritual panic. abuse, uh, you know, panic, if you will, yeah. Right, and I fully acknowledge that people were wrongly sent to prison for false charges of satanic ritual abuse in the 80s. But the evidence I compiled for my book, Lucifer's Lodge, is so compelling that satanic ritual abuse certainly does exist as a subcult in the Roman Catholic Church and outside of it to a certain extent as well. But uh, the, the first part of Lucifer's Lodge, the chapter is called Satanic Panic Reconsidered, and I look at these cases where people were falsely sent to prison. And as I say, that's a terrible injustice for them. Mm -hmm. But when you look at it in the, uh, as a larger whole, I've counted only five people that went to prison 
for satanic ritual abuse in the 80s, and they were all eventually released and exonerated. And I'm not minimizing their suffering and the injustice they suffered. Uh, It's a horrible thing. But when you look at the legal system as a whole, it's really a drop in the bucket. There's, you know, there's people in prison as we speak who have been falsely accused of rape. Yeah. There are people in prison who've been falsely accused of every crime under the sun, yet we still investigate rape and murder and all these other things. And what we have to do as a society is we have to start looking into satanic ritual abuse. Again, now, a couple of other cases that are in Lucifer's Lodge that are quite stunning and shocking, Tim, is the case, uh, I'll give you one, Father Sean Fortune, who was in Ireland. He was a Catholic priest who would rape children. And what he would do is, when the parents found out about them, uh, the, the molestation, he would threaten them with hexes. He says, if you turn me into the police, Satan will haunt you. Oh, boy. If you turn me into the police, your next child will be born with birth defects. Oh, man. Uh, Now, the thing is, uh, you have to remember that they have a folk culture in Ireland, and they the things like hexes and curses are very real to them, more so than we in the United States who are more scientifically minded. Mm -hmm. And I'm an Irish-American, and I can't fully understand the superstitious nature of the Irish people. I had a grandmother on my mother's side from Ireland, and we all used to laugh at her like she wouldn't let a bird in the house because it was bad luck. (laughs) If there was thunder outside, she would throw holy water all over the house, which would probably do more to attract lightning and thunder. (laughs) You, you know, throwing water around. But um, the point is, um, as far as those villagers were concerned, and this is the important part we got to remember, Father Fortune had the power to to curse and hex them. Now, it gets even more bizarre, the case of Father Fortune. He took uh, children to a Catholic retreat called Loftus Hall in Ireland. And people can look this up on the Internet. Loftus Hall has a history of hauntings. It was exercised by a Catholic priest in the 1700s. And in a book by the Irish journalist Alison O'Connor, who works for the Irish Times, she stated that Father Fortune took children to Loftus Hall and raped them in a room called the Devil's Room. Oh, boy. So what we're looking at here is a ritual chamber. And uh, what happened, two of Father Fortune's detractors were crossing a field, and they were both simultaneously struck by lightning. And the next day, Father Fortune implied that he caused this to happen. He said, I didn't give them half enough. Okay? So he... He had these poor villages in this rural Irish village really under his thumb. Now, what happened uh, with the recent spat of law cases, uh, justice finally caught up to Father Fortune, and he did the world a favor. He committed suicide the night before his trial was to begin. But there's a clear and distinct case of a Catholic priest who was a Satanist. There's no two ways about it. 
Now, I'll give you one other. This is a really bizarre case from our own state. Massachusetts has some of the freakiest stuff, you got to admit, Tim. That's for sure, yeah. It's well, just, look, look, look at the two of us here. <laughs> I mean, we're just reporting on the freakiness. We're, <laughs> we're tame compared to these people. But um, now, I should just quickly say, people can check the facts on this at WilliamHKennedy.com. I have a ritual abuse multimedia page that has links to all of the articles to mainstream uh, media channels that cover these cases. And uh, they, it just it gets more and more bizarre as you look at them. Now, there is a case, uh, everyone knows this name, Father Paul Shanley. Uh-huh. And Father Shanley was a priest in Boston in the 60s and 70s, and he had a mission to uh, gay and lesbian youth in Boston. And what he would do is he would sexually abuse children. Now, Shanley was also a founding member of the North American Man-Boy Love Association, NAMBLA, which had their first, he was a keynote speaker at their first meeting in Boston in 1977. Wow, I can't believe someone could do something, could get mixed up with that kind of stuff and still be allowed to be a priest. Unbelievable, and the Archdiocese knew all about this. It's very bizarre. Yeah. Now, where it, it even gets more bizarre is that Father Shanley took children to the Alpha Omega House, which was in Littleton, Massachusetts, and he sexually abused them in a ritual chamber called the Black Room. And when I went to the uh, protests in front of the cathedral here in Boston, I talked to a lot of survivors of these perverts. And I posed the question to one fellow about um, this Alpha Omega house. And the way I posed the question is I said, was there anything diabolical or evil in the house? besides the molestation. Yeah. Was there anything sinister? And one fellow said, you must mean the black room. Oh, wow. And I said, what is the black room? Well, he explained to me that the fellow that ran this place, his name was uh, Father Bernard J. Lane. He had a room that was painted black from top to bottom in this wayward boy's home. And he and the staff psychiatrist and Paul Shanley would take children there and rape them. Now, I talked to three people who were there, and they tell me that at different times there was um, a crucifix that was face down on the floor during the molestation, and another time there was one uh, upside down with the figure of Christ facing the wall during a sexual abuse. And I say, I know this sounds far out, so I definitely want people to check this, WilliamHKennedy.com the Ritual Abuse Multimedia page, and it will link you right to the Boston Globe article on this. So there's yeah, a folks, not- check it out. Yeah. I guess the, 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 the question, the obvious question here then is that you think this goes beyond just some twisted sexual predilection to some kind of ritual, if you will. Oh, yeah. And I just want to make it clear, Tim, I'm not saying that every priest who's been accused in this whole sexual molestation scandal 
that is haunting Benedict XVI as we speak. I'm not saying they were all involved in forms of ritual abuse, and it really depends on how you define ritual abuse. Like a lot of these uh, priests molested kids in confessionals. Oh, God. And that's kind of a borderline ritual abuse. But, uh, of course, the sexual contact is the most evil part of this, whether there are, are rituals and satanic rites or not. Both are, you know, pretty bad things Obviously, to do. Yeah. But the ritual element is just for, it, it just adds a, a deeper level of the bizarre. Yeah, yeah. To the situation. Yeah. Now, it, it, and the big thing is, this is also all over the United States and the world, you have these ritual abuse elements. And another case I can give you is that of two priests in Toledo, Ohio, Father Gerald Robinson and Father Chet Warren. Now, what they did in Toledo is they had a satanic secret society called the Sisters of the Assumed Mary, or SAM, mm -hmm. and they would dress up like nuns and sexually abuse little girls in a coffin. Oh, Jesus. Okay, and they would, they would take snakes and penetrate these little six- and seven-year-old girls and uh, dedicate their orifices to Lucifer. Okay, I want to give those names out once more. It's Father Chet Warren and Father Gerald Robinson. Uh, you can get the articles which appear in the Toledo Blade at WilliamHKennedy.com, the multimedia page. I was a consultant for the Toledo Blade with Pulitzer Prize winner Mike Sala on uh, these cases. And I, I give all these references in my background so people won't think I'm a raving lunatic. Yeah, yeah. That's so, you know, you don't get sued by these cats and shit like that, right? Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, everything I say is backed up. That that could never happen. Yeah. Now, what happened to Father Gerald Robinson? If that's not weird and strange and macabre enough, Father uh, Gerald Robinson, back in 19... Uh, the 80s, he he was a chaplain at an airport, at an airport chapel, and he had a nun who was an assistant who he didn't get along with. Yeah. And he murdered her oh, in a bizarre ritual. They found her body on Easter Sunday, and uh, there were candles laid around her head, and there was an inverted crucifix carved into her chest. That's how she was killed. Uh, now, what happened at the time, they didn't have enough evidence against Gerald Robinson to convict him, so he went free for many years. But when these, uh, when the Archdiocese of Toledo called for any victims of sexual abuse to come out in 2004, some survivors of Father Chet Warren came out, and they mentioned that Father Gerald Robinson was in this Sam Satanic cult. And what happened, the, the Toledo police reopened the case. There's no statute of limitation for murder, and they eventually sent Father Gerald Robinson to prison. He's in prison as we speak for murdering this nun in a bizarre satanic ritual. Now, when they had initially searched uh, Gerald Robinson's home, 
They found all kinds of books on Satanism and the occult and human sacrifice. So what do you think's going on here with all these Satanists and, and I mean, let's leave aside the just the, the perverts who are molesting kids. Let's leave apart those. We're talking about now the, the, the Satanists who are, you know, in, invoking this molestation as part of their whole scene. What, what the hell's going on here with all these Satanists in the Catholic Church? How did this all come about? Okay, well, the oldest symbol of a fish, uh, of the church, is a fish. Mm-hmm. And uh, a fish rots from the head down. Okay? Yeah. And what happened sometime after World War II? Now, these perverts have always been around. Yeah. You know, there's a billion Roman Catholics in the world, and I'm not vouching for all of them. You're going to get some sickos just out of the number sheer one billion. That's a huge, it's the largest organization on earth. Right. Now, after World War II, the sick perverts took over the church. Okay, they became the bishops and the cardinals and the popes and things like that. How exactly they did it, you know, is anyone's guess. But what you have to remember is all these perverts I've mentioned were protected from the top down. Yeah. Now, the other day, the police in Belgium raided a bunch of uh, Catholic archbishops and bishops' houses and um, rectories looking for uh, any evidence they could get. They even drilled a hole into the uh, tombs of several dead archbishops to see if there were any documents hidden in there. Yeah. Um, So even law enforcement now fully acknowledges that this international cabal of Satanists posing as Catholic priests and bishops and cardinals is a real thing. So the Catholic Church has essentially been usurped and taken over by Satanists. And I want to say again, I am still a practicing Roman Catholic. I'm what's called a traditional Roman Catholic. I prefer the old uh, Latin Mass and Latin Rites. So I don't want anyone to say, Tim, that you're anti-Catholic or that uh, your program is anti-Catholic. I'm saying this as a lifelong practicing Roman Catholic who is making observations about his own church that are appearing in newspapers. Mm -hmm. So I don't want any Catholic smears against you or or me or anyone. This that's is fine. Just, yeah, that's fine. I'm Roman Catholic too, so we're all we're all okay, good. Okay, I I yeah, that's an important thing to say because you, you can certainly you you can criticize your own church more than other people's. <laughs> which which is a very true thing. So that's really the problem. Now, one thing Malachi Martin told me I asked him, well, why would these sickos bother with the church? And when you look at the Roman Catholic Church, as I said earlier, it's the largest organization in the world. It has a billion members. One in six people on this planet are at least nominally Roman Catholic. They're affiliated. And number two, it's the most globally expansive organization on earth. It goes to more countries than the United Nations or the World Health Organization. In fact, when the the World Health Organization wants to go to rural parts of Africa or South America, they usually consult with the Roman Catholic Church because they have uh, contacts with uh, tribal cultures from their missionaries. Yeah. 
That's true to this day. So you have the largest organization, you have the most globally expansive organization, and if you want to do evil in the world, the Roman Catholic Church is the ultimate institution to infiltrate and take over when you really think about it. I mean, the UN is dependent upon donations from member states, and, you know, they really can't get their act together. They can't even quell little squabbles in third world countries. They yeah. mess it all up, like Rwanda. They, 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 you know, I'm not too afraid of a UN conspiracy because they never really got their, their act together, though they might like to. Yeah. But they just, they can't, they, they can't pull it all together. But the Roman Catholic Church now is a much more viable organization to cause evil in the world. So, Evil people or the devil or, or intelligent evil, whatever you want to call it, has taken over the Roman Catholic Church. And the people involved in it are diabolical. Now, what another thing you have to understand about the Roman Catholic Church, at this juncture in history, it has the, mo the strongest bank in the world. The Vatican Bank is number one now with all this economic crisis. Yeah primarily because it controls one-fourth of the world's gold supply. Oh, wow. Okay, and that is in both gold bullion, you know, gold bars, and in ornamental gold. Like yeah, they got candles, all kinds of stuff, yeah. Chalices, candlesticks. And historically speaking, monarchs have melted things like candlesticks and chalices down when they needed money. So that's that's nothing new, but when you consider that the euro is based on gold and uh, all the other currencies are pretty much worthless compared to it. Let me put it this way. If the Vatican were to dump just its gold bullion, not its ornamental gold, yeah. but just its gold bullion, they could crash the euro and cause a worldwide economic collapse in about a week and a half. Oh, Jesus. Okay. That's how powerful they are. Now, all the gold in the world is not a lot of it. It's about the size of a football field a foot thick. That's, <laughs> that's all the gold there is out there. I'll take it. There's not a lot. But the Vatican has one-fourth of that, okay? And that makes them immensely powerful. Yeah. Now, with um, all the fiat money that's being printed up in the United States, China, England, Japan, South America. Fiat money is money that's not based on gold. It's just based on the state. Mm -hmm. That was, That is useless and ultimately will just cause hyperinflation, like what's happening in England right now. And so the only solid thing to have is gold. So the Vatican at this juncture is probably more powerful as a global force than it's ever been despite the fact that they have all this uh, public relations nightmare with the pedophile crisis. Yeah. Now, the only ones that come close to them are the Saudis, because they have a lot of oil in the oil-rich Middle East countries, but they are moving into banking themselves, the Saudis, Yeah. and they're making all kinds of alliances with the Vatican. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and uh, about a year and a half ago, a bunch of Muslims met and met with the Pope 
as a kind of interreligious dialogue kind of thing. Sayyid Hussein Nasir was there and uh, some major Muslim scholars. Now, I'm not saying they're in on a cabal to unify with the Vatican, but the fact still remains that a Saudi Vatican banking cartel is the strongest and most solid bank on earth right now. They're combining forces. They're not fighting with each other. Yeah. They're, they're, they're in cahoots at this juncture. So you're looking at a major block of power uh, that the Vatican has now. Now, I get asked a lot about China and Japan and the Eastern Bloc. Well, they have a lot of money, but the problem is they lent uh, the United States money and for collateral, they get they have all, all these empty houses that they don't even want and don't want to keep the upkeep. So their economy is tied into our fallen market. So when you look at the most solid institution economically, it's really the Vatican, and it's ultimately the most powerful organization on earth. Though, as I say, it's suffering some public relations problems right now. But that doesn't subtract from these other hard facts. Yeah, if anything, now, that helps them because then they they look weaker than they really are. They look weaker than they really are, but that that's a, a really big bluff. That's what I mean. Yeah, it's kind yeah, of it's, it's an incredibly scary. big bluff. You know, it's 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 kind of ridiculous. And Benedict the Sixteenth, he's kind of old anyway, so he'll just take the heat until he dies. You know, <laughs> yeah. he's in his eighties; he won't be around long. Now, what? Now, with the risk of getting into you know predictions and prophecy and that kind of stuff, did not only what do you see on the horizon for the Vatican, but what kind of information did Father Malachi Martin say to you? You know what, that we can expect here, because it seems like. We're living in some pretty hairy times as it is, and I'm sure given the power that you're saying the Vatican has, they're going to be you know, in the mix on whatever the hell is coming down the pike. Sure. Uh, what Father Malachi, he pronounced his name Malachi, though he didn't mind if people pronounced it Malachi. Okay, I always thought it was Malachi. All right, go ahead. All right. right. That's a big confusion, but I'll just say Father Martin to avoid email. <laughs> <laughs> what Father Martin told me was, that when the Antichrist does arise, uh -huh. he will use the Vatican as a very big springboard for his uh, global empire. Now, what you have to remember, Tim, is that um, we're in a one-world economy now. If I were to defect to communist Russia or to communist China, my credit card bill would eventually catch up with me. Yeah, yeah. And I'd have bill collectors calling me in Moscow or Beijing or wherever looking for my, their payment. Mm -hmm. So we're in a one-world economy with mass communications. We're in a one-world techno-culture. Now, human beings by nature will always seek out an alpha male a one leader. This goes back to our time as hunter-gatherers who make all the decisions, okay? Yeah. And this one alpha male that is coming on the horizon, what he'll do is he'll come off as saying, like, well, I'm going to solve the world hunger problem. I'm going to solve the resource and energy problems. He's going to come as an angel of light. 
But what he will eventually do is decimate huge portions of the world's population, billions of people. And uh, when you even consider that uh, this comes from tribal cultures, this alpha male scenario, you know, the chief or the shaman, you even hear like Hillary Clinton using the language of tribal culture like it takes a village. Yeah. And so you you got that analogy right in your face right there. Now, this global tyrant, and if, if for any atheists or non-religious people out there, uh, it doesn't matter if you think this alpha male is the Antichrist or not. You can call him the Antichrist or you can call him Donald Duck. He's going he's gonna to be the same thing. And um, it's moving towards that. Now, the thing is, this, this alpha male will be a global tyrant who will consolidate all of the world's power and resources and eventually kill off billions of people before he's done or stopped or overthrown or, or whatever. Yeah. And when you look at it, it's, it's very bizarre because the Roman Catholic Church will probably be his pivot for getting, as I said earlier, the World Health Organization goes to the church where it needs to get into rural areas. This global tyrant will use the Catholic Church as kind of his international infrastructure and things like the UN, they'll they'd be part of it, but they they'd probably be secondary. Yeah. Now, at at the risk of getting you into even more predictiveness, uh, we had a guest on a few weeks ago who had her idea of who the Antichrist is. I won't tell you who it is because I don't want to ruin the surprise. You know, maybe you'll say the same person. So I'm wondering uh, who, who you might have. And do you have anyone in mind, or is it someone we don't even know yet, or you don't want to venture a guess? Okay, uh, Tony Blair is moving in that direction. Interesting. Okay. Okay, because Tony Blair just converted to the Roman Catholic Church. Hmm. If you didn't know. No, I did not know that. Okay. Yes, he his wife is Catholic, and he just became a Catholic. Now, is he the ultimate Antichrist? I really can't say. But what I will say is that this global one world, new world order, the economic and political structure is getting set in place. We're almost there now. You know, just the one world economy alone, you kind of got it at that point. Yeah. Now, from a biblical perspective, it states quite clearly in 1 John that there will be actually be a series of antichrists. There will be more than one. More than one Antichrist is mentioned in the Bible, Okay. which few people realize. It's a small quote, but um, this will build up until this final Antichrist figure comes into play. Oh, boy. Okay? So there will be a lot of people doing their best to be uh, an Antichrist type figure. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Like President Bush, he did his damnedest to be an Antichrist type figure. Uh, President Obama, with his, you know, with this whole Gulf oil fiasco or whatever it is, I don't know if it's a plot or... <laughs> it's obviously being mismanaged, if nothing else. He's doing a pretty good job at being an Antichrist type figure. So... You have all these leaders 
who are moving in that direction anyway to be this global despot antichrist. And what they're really doing ultimately is they're setting up the structure for this final figure. Now, can I give you a name and a date that this figure will ultimately emerge? Well, no, I just don't know. There's a lot of candidates out there. And uh, Tony Blair scared a lot of people uh, when he became a Catholic. It was of huge concern to him. Now, if you remember back in the 80s, uh, Bill Clinton received Catholic Holy Communion when he was in Africa. And uh, Father Martin called me up semi-hysterical <laughs> when, when that happened because um, – uh, Clinton has a lot, strong ties to occult groups. He was in the Masons, uh, de Malay group as a kid. So, um, there's a, there's a big connection with, uh, Clinton and the occult. His, his wife, our current Secretary of State, actually had, uh, Gene Houston in the White House and they were doing like silver mind control type things talking to, uh, dead people. Oh, geez. Weird. Okay. You didn't hear much about that. And as I say, it's um, uh, 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 19 says, I'll just read it quickly. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. That's 1 John 2.19. So for the religiously minded out there, this uh, series of Antichrist, till we have the final big one, is to be expected. You know, a lot of people thought Hitler was the Antichrist. A lot of people thought Stalin was the Antichrist. I wonder about Hillary Clinton, who I mentioned earlier sometime. But uh, we're... The fact that, uh, in a sense, all of these people were right in that there'll be a succession of Antichrist till we have this final tyrannical world figure who will use a combination of the Vatican and some sort of United Nations military force to cause a global dictatorship where all our rights will be taken away. Um, Millions and billions of us will be starved to death and killed off. Look what's happening in Africa now. Look what's happening in India now. It's quite horrendous. Uh, it, it's brutal and horrendous and frightening. So we are moving towards this uh, final figure. Now, the cases I have in Lucifer's Lodge are just showing how the Vatican is slowly infiltrating the Satanist priests into the Catholic Church who will ultimately serve this global tyrant or antichrist, however you want to call it. Okay. So that's really the, the, uh, the big part of what Lucifer's Lodge is. Now, in my next book I wrote called Satanic Crime, A Threat in the New Millennium, which uh, Brad Steiger was kind enough to write the back cover blurb for, which I'm very proud of. Uh, what I did in that book is I looked at the contemporary Satanism movement with all the major figures. That's the uh, first chapter. I looked at Aleister Crowley 
whose name wasn't pronounced Crowley, by the way. Okay. <laughs> and and uh, the pronunciations are always tough. And I looked at, like, Anton LaVey, and I looked at uh, all the major figures in the contemporary Satanism movement. That's my first chapter. And then I uh, the following chapters beyond that are uh, serial killers who are also Satanists. And that includes like Charles Manson and Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, and uh, Ricky Casso, who murdered his friend uh, on Long Island in 19, uh, the mid-1980s. Uh, and he stabbed his friend to death, Ricky Casso, and as he stabbed him, he said, say you love Satan. That was a famous catchphrase. Oh, jeez. Now, because of uh, that book I wrote, Satanic Crime, a... Filmmaker in Quebec named Christian Page hired me to be in a documentary uh, that we filmed last summer. It's coming out this fall, fall 2010. And he, one of the episodes he did, the, the series is called When Children Kill. Yeah. And I'm in the Ricky Casso episode. And the plan for that is it will be on Court TV Canada. In the early fall, then it will be down here, True TV, in the United States sometime in the late fall uh, towards Christmas. So I'll be, you can see my handsome mug on go. True TV <laughs> this coming fall 2010. Unless, I don't know, something goes wrong, the world ends or, <laughs> so I, you know, I, I don't like to predict too far ahead. There you but go. Um, that book uh, in the final chapter of Satanic Crime, my book, I talk about elite secret societies like the Bilderberg Group, yeah. the Skull and Bones Society, the Bohemian Grove. Mm -hmm. And I point out there that many of our world leaders are involved in occult and esoteric organizations. Yeah. Like Bush and Kerry. Uh, John Kerry were both members of the Skull and Bones at Yale, and as your listeners know, uh, the initiates in that secret society kneel before a student who is dressed up like the devil and perform a mock human sacrifice. You can see a film of this at WilliamHKennedy.com on the uh, Satanic Crime Multimedia page I set up to go along with the book. And there I got all documentaries and films of, you know, the Bohemian Grove and the Skull and Bones and the Bilderberg Group. Now, um, what's very bizarre about that book is I was, one of the things I point out is that Jeff Gannon, who was that disgraced fake White House reporter yeah. a couple years ago who turned out to be a gay prostitute. Mm -hmm and ran an escort service where he uh, dressed up like a Marine Corps drill sergeant, uh, Sergeant Bulldog, and uh, I, I don't know what he did sexually dressed up as a Marine. I, I don't like to think about those things. <laughs> but uh, he, was, he was disgraced. He was fielding softball questions to uh, Bush under a fake news agency called Talon News or something. Yeah. And he also uh, spent nights in the White House. He signed in but didn't sign out. Yeah, yeah. He was there when um, Tony Blair spent the night. Now, I heard he got into a little bit of a tiff over this whole Jeff Gannon thing because uh, regarding the allegations that he's Johnny Gosh. Uh, what, right, right. What's that all about? 
Well, what I said in the book, and what happened is after this came out, someone posted on the Internet, and it wasn't me. People think I did it. I'm denying it. That um, Jeff Gannon looked a lot like a boy who went missing in the 80s named Johnny Gosh. Mm -hmm. uh, he disappeared doing his paper route. Yeah, very fast case, yeah. Back in the 80s, it was on America's Most Wanted with uh, John Walsh. It was heavily uh, covered. Now, uh, his mother, Mrs. Gosh, claims that many years later, as an adult, Johnny came to see him and said that he was uh, part of a satanic pedophile cult. And he said he, he couldn't keep in contact with her because he feared that this cult would kill her. Now, what had happened is that, as I said, when this whole Jeff Gannon thing exploded, someone on the net put up pictures of Johnny Gosh next to Jeff Gannon, and I think he looks remarkably the same. Johnny Gosh and Jeff Gannon look very much alike. And uh, I went on another radio show called A Closer Look with a fellow named Michael Corbin. Oh, yes, the late, great Michael Corbin. Yeah, he passed away, very sad, died young, didn't take care of himself, smoked and overate, so let that be a lesson. But anyway, I was, uh, the Gosh case had quieted down, and I heard through private sources that people in Washington, D.C. were actually monitoring the shows I was going on. And that's one of these things I kind of scoffed at. I, I doubted they really cared Yeah. what I said down. You know, they got 300 million people to worry about. What do they care about me <laughs> yeah. on an Internet radio show? But anyway, what I did is I decided to, you know, uh, stir up some shit, for lack of a better term. And I went on Michael's show and I started really banging on the Jeff Gannon, Johnny Kosh uh, similarities. Yeah. I really hammered it. The story was dying down. And I went on that show and I hammered it and hammered it. And what happened when I got off the air, I, lo and behold, I got an email from Jeff Gannon. And he said, stop saying I'm Johnny Gosh or I will sue you. Oh, wow. Okay, so people in D.C. were listening. Now, what happened is um, Jeff Gannon actually, about a week after that, he called in to Michael Corbin's show. Oh, wow. And he said that he would take a blood test with Mrs. Gosh to prove this. Yeah. Okay, and he committed himself on a Fox TV show that he would take a blood test. So uh, this is about the time I was putting the whole Satanic Crime book together. And, of course, I published Jeff Gannon's email in the book for, for sales purposes. <laughs> and <laughs> I wouldn't leave that out of there. But what eventually happened is uh, Jeff Gannon never took that blood test with Noreen Gosh, Johnny Gosh's mother. Now, what did Noreen say about all this? What does she think? Uh, Noreen Gosh was just confused about the whole thing, and she wanted to take a blood test with Jeff Gannon just for the sake of the process of elimination. Yeah. You know, that's no big deal, taking a little blood. They could even take a saliva swab, I'm told. Mm-hmm. 
and figure out if this was Noreen Gosh's son. So it's not like he has to, you know, have a kidney removed. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, just yeah. you know, rub a Q-tip in his mouth. He never did that. Okay, he never took that test. He never took a DNA test with Noreen Gosh. And, you know, I'm fully open to the possibility that I'm wrong and that Jeff Gannon is not Johnny Gosh. Yeah. Okay, I'm fully open to that. But Jeff Gannon's behavior makes me conclude that he is Johnny Gosh because if he had any decency in him, if he... If he was not Noreen Gosh's son, he would take this test just to ease her mind and not torment her. Just basic human decency would dictate that he, you know, takes a, a, a Q-tip and gives some spit to some guy and ends the whole thing. Yeah. He never did that, Tim. He never took that test. It's been over five years now since he first promised. And that's an extremely cruel thing to do to Noreen Gosh, whether he is or is not uh, Johnny Gosh. Jeff Gannon is one cruel bastard either way for not doing this. Now, if he is Johnny Gosh and he's been brainwashed or whatever, I don't know. But some he should take this test, even to this day. Even if for no other reason to make me look stupid. <laughs> okay? To make me go on shows like this and apologize and say, I'm, he never did that, Tim. And that just raises more suspicion and questions and, uh, you know, all other kinds of uh, horrible speculation, which he could end tomorrow w w for the price of a Q-tip, which he doesn't have to even pay for. Yeah, absolutely. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Uh, please allow me to introduce myself. I'm the devil! Now, I was looking over some of your other interviews and stuff, and I saw this thing here about red box vending machines. Right. What I was, I, I was on a, another real interesting guy, Dr. Stan Monti's show, Radio Liberty. Mm -hmm. I go on all these shows. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like going on the radio, as you can tell. What I pointed out about these red box movie rentals, if you go into a supermarket. Okay, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, they like you rent a DVD for a dollar, that kind of thing. DVD uh, yeah. for a buck. They have them in Massachusetts. They have them in the Stop and Shops and Star Markets. And they're all over the country, primarily in shopping malls and shopping centers. Mm-hmm. Now, I was in uh, my local stop-and-shop grocery store and when these things first came in, and I noticed a little, little guy about three and a half, four years old looking at all the red box. Uh, they put the covers of the DVDs on a display, kind of like a Coke machine for yeah. anyone who hasn't seen one. And I went over and I looked at what uh, was on it. And what struck me that was bizarre is at the very lowest levels of the Redbox machine, they had things like uh, Fantasia with Mickey Mouse dressed up as a wizard. Mm -hmm. And they had all kinds of magical and mystical uh, Walt Disney films and uh, occult and magically oriented films about this kid's height of three or and a half or four-year-old. Now, when you move up the column to the adult things right above that, 
you have, uh, there were a lot of occult horrible movies like Drag Me to Hell, uh, a couple of these um, vampire movies with Christian Stewart that are out there. Oh, and yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> like the, Twilight, yeah. Twilight, the Twilight movie, Drag Me to Hell, uh, a couple of these weird Freddy movies. And what I, what I noted when I saw this little fella looking at it, just how saturated our society is with the occult and the esoteric, whether you, you know, like it or not. Yeah. You know, it's very strange. And what I, when I saw this, you know, real sweet little boy laughing and looking at him, what does a, a little kid like that need to see Mickey Mouse dressed up like a wizard, and then above that, uh, drag me to hell in Twilight. How are we programming the minds of our children with the mass media? Yeah, yeah. Well, it does we're, seem like that we're moving into a culture of where the occult is, it's not a cult anymore, it's mainstream. No, it's a culture. Put it together. Oh, a culture and I the like occult that. is becoming an occulture. Now, this was... Um, this was around last Christmas, and I was buying some uh, stuff for, you know, we we're having people over the house, my mom and I, and uh, I, I was buying some paper plates, and these paper plates were Twilight paper plates, <laughs> and they had Christian Stewart in that. I forget the name of the real handsome actor who plays Edward, the vampire in it, but they had them on it with Santa Claus hats on. You know, Weird. a vampire and a vampiress or a potential vampire. I mean, what do we need that on a Christmas? Why is why is that? Why is a vampire wearing a Santa Claus hat? My point being is that we are programming the youth of our country and the world into being so used to occult and satanic images that they, they almost no longer see them anymore. Yeah. And that affects people on a deeply subconscious level. It's kind of like the picture of George Washington on a dollar bill. You really don't notice it over time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just there. It's kind of a precept, not a concept. Yeah. It's, it, it's saturated. And that's what they're doing with occult images, with things like the red box machine and putting Twilight stuff on the Santa Claus material. And my ultimate point is, uh, I'll be a bit conspiratorial, and I know I'm going to get a lot of email about this, but I would say that that is part and parcel of this greater rise of a global tyrant or antichrist, that we are being so programmed our children especially, with occult images, that when this Antichrist figure comes along and promotes these sort of things, they'll be very commonplace. And remember, to a certain extent, we come into this world as blank slates. And we uh, education is a form of programming like you program a computer. And it's what you type into a computer is what you'll get back. And what you pro how you program a child uh, with the popular media is what you'll get back. Now, as a society, we have to ask ourselves, do we want to program little children like that cute little guy in the stop and shop uh, grocery store 
with these occult images, you know, going from Mickey Mouse as a wizard to drag me to hell in Twilight. I mean, how would how how are people going to turn out? And now a lot of people often slam me for saying, what do you want? Censorship, censorship, censorship. Well, yes, you wouldn't want an eight-year-old or a four-year-old child to watch a hardcore S&M movie. Yeah. Okay, yes, I'm for censorship there. What I'm saying is those images on that red box machine as you go up from the children's one that's low aren't that far away from a hardcore S&M triple X rated movie. In your opinion. In my opinion. Yeah. And what I'll say to people is the next time they see a red box, look at it and make up your own mind. There you go. Okay. That's, yeah, that's fair enough. Okay. And look at the bottom row of the children's cartoons, what you see there, and then look at all the horror and occult movies that are just above that, and a lot of nudity, you know, semi-nudity and sexy women as well. And what you want to ask yourself, is this really what we want to put in the children's heads? Now, don't worry, the Redbox company isn't going to go bankrupt because of what I say on the now of America. You know, I, I'm no threat. <laughs> we, we are no threat to the uh, media moguls and powerhouses out there. So people who want to send me emails about censorship and what a threat I am and, you know, my, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm a snowflake in a blizzard. I don't mean that much, you know. But what we want to do is just ask ourselves as a society, what do we want to put in our kids' heads? Do we want uh, Santa Claus to be our kids' hero, or do we want a vampire Santa Claus to be our kids' heroes? You know? Yeah. And, and these are important questions to ask. And that's all I am doing is trying to get people to observe these occult and esoteric images that we're bombarded with. No one denies that we're bombarded with. It's pretty hard to deny it. And just ask ourselves, is this how we want to educate our children? That's a, yeah, that's a great question to, uh, we'll sort of float that out there to people. Now, obviously you have been looking at the whole world of the esoteric for, you know, like you said, the last 20 years at least. Uh, you've been writing about it and everything. Now, I haven't heard you mention one of my favorite three-letter words, UFO. Where do you where do you stand on the whole UFO phenomenon fitting into what you've laid out so far as your worldview? Very interesting question, and um, I in fact I have an audio book coming out uh, that's dealing with UFOs, and the comedian it's called the Occult World of Jackie Gleason, who was a comedian, mm -hmm. and uh, Jackie Gleason. Few people know this; he was a huge UFO enthusiast. Oh, yeah. And uh, very deep. He used to go on the Long John Nebel show, who was the precursor to shows like this. Yep. And he claimed he saw an alien body. With, alien uh, bodies. Richard and I get, I get into all of that. Now, personally, I think the whole flying saucer phenomenon, as a Catholic, I think these are what I would call diabolical hallucinations. I'm going to give a Christian response, and I'll get a lot of flack email about this. But from what I've seen, 
uh, these sound a lot like accounts from the Middle Ages of like uh, succubi and, and these strange sorts of spirits. Now, I suspect that, uh, I mean, I believe in God and the devil and all that. And if anyone else there doesn't, just bear with me a minute. <laughs> I won't convert you. But uh, I think these are diabolical hallucinations, just uh, which are used by the, the dark side to confuse and upset people. Now, my big reason for believing this is, number one, these so-called aliens... They don't do anything to benefit humanity. They don't give it. They're supposed to be these advanced technological creatures. Yeah. Well, they don't give us a cure for lung cancer, okay, which they should have. Number two, they don't overwhelm and take us over with their technology. Even Stephen J. Hawking, who's an atheist, said that uh, we shouldn't tamper if we find life on other planets, because either we will conquer them or they will conquer us. He just said that quite recently. So we haven't been conquered. We haven't been helped or conquered by these alleged aliens. Yeah. Uh, nor have we gotten anything in technology you can trace back to people. They haven't given us any technology or science to speak of. Uh, and they haven't conquered us. But what they do, when you look at these messages, they're usually very confusing, That you know, these so-called UFO contactees. I was good friends with Dr. John Mack, who is another guy from Massachusetts. Oh, yeah. Uh, over here. He, he passed away tragically. But I discussed this whole alien phenomenon with him, and, you know, we disagreed. He thought these people were being abducted by extraterrestrials. And I just think these, uh, this is the man downstairs playing tricks on us. And there again, I think this will be part and parcel of this ultimate one world dictator. Now it's very funny because, um, flying saucer believers, for lack of a better term, uh, the ones who truly believe we're being visited by or tampered with by extraterrestrials one way or another, it's almost a religious belief for them. Yeah. It's in the realm of what the writer Eric Hoffer called a true believer. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're as fanatical as any Bible-thumping fundamentalist <laughs> yeah. Christian. They really are. I mean, I, I, I've known a lot of them, and... Um, I'm friends with a lot of people in the UFO community. I, I even went up to New Hampshire and met Betty Hill once, who was a uh, one of the original UFO contactees in the early 60s, Benny and Barney Hill oh, yeah. in New Hampshire. And strangely enough, uh, Betty Hill told me, this was back in the mid-90s, I think, that she felt a lot of people were exploiting the UFO alien phenomenon just for money. Well, that yeah, that's a that's a given. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what she told me, which was a very interesting thing because that's what she had been accused of in the past. But just a funny aside. But no, on the whole, I would say the entire uh, flying saucer UFO alien abduction thing is uh, diabolical in nature. Ultimately, people can disagree with me. Now, on that occult world of Jackie Gleason, that will be out in a couple weeks. Uh, as bonus features, I have all of the early broadcasts 
of uh, Edward R. Morrow's famous 1949 uh, radio documentary, The Case for Flying Saucers. Oh, wow, yeah. I uh, have a commentary, and then I play that. I have the original Roswell uh, report from 1947, which is the earliest national uh, report on flying discs, they called them back then. Uh, I have a, a Kenneth Arnold interview. He's the person who uh, used the term flying saucer or said they look like saucers skipping on the water in uh, his interview. So I pulled together all these early things. Now, here's a little fascinating tidbit I discovered is that uh, one time when Jackie Gleason was on the Long John Nebel show in the late 50s, he revealed that he and Edward R. Murrow, wanted to do a documentary on flying saucers uh, yeah. for a national audience. And uh, he asked Ed Murrow if he knew anyone in D.C., in DC any generals who'd be interested in this. And uh, uh, Edward R. Murrow called this high-ranking general. He didn't give the name, but the high-ranking general shot the whole thing down and kind of threatened Edward R. Murrow. Oh, wow if he uh, went ahead with this documentary on flying saucers. And it gets very, it gets very, very strange. Yeah. You know, uh, very weird. And I really looked at the UFO phenomenon. Now that's, that's my, my final verdict on it. And mm -hmm. I know people disagree with me and uh, I'm friends with a lot of people in the UFO flying saucer community. Uh, Brad Steiger gives on the rents page, he gives like 17 explanations. Yeah, I've seen that, yeah. For, for uh, flying saucers, and mine's one of the 17. So, I mean, uh, there again, I'm, I'm not a Bible thumper saying that, you know, the devil's hovering around in a, a mothership. <laughs> oh, I'm not quite going that far, but I think it's part of it. And I'm willing to dialogue with people with other interpretations of the UFO phenomenon. I'm not a, uh, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm you're not, not a part. zealot. I'm not a zealot. I'm, I'm, you know, with all this stuff, all these planets they're finding out there, there very well could be life out there. I'm not. I'm not denying that. Now, do they have spaceships to get here? I don't know. I don't know if they'd uh, even be like us. Yeah. You know, they could be highly intelligent crystal creatures. Exactly. That kind of covers your your view of the UFO phenomenon, and and I totally respect that. And we don't need to rehash it in the sense you don't need to defend it. To me, so I mean, there's sure. no, I have no problem with that. I'm, I, sure, I just people. throw it out there. I don't yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I know you did a lot of research also on human trafficking. So talk a little bit about that, because I've always found that really fascinating, and it's one of those things, kind of like this whole satanic underground, that I think a lot of Americans don't realize that human trafficking is so huge. Uh, they, I think they think that it's something that's like limited to third world nations or something, but it, this thing is really you know, one of mankind's most sinister crimes that is so prevalent in the world today. Well, that Tim, that brings us into another part of this whole Antichrist scenario thing I had. Mm -hmm. Now, I just want to point out that the uh, FBI used to deny the existence of human trafficking, and that is human slavery. Yeah. 
they denied it in the same way that they denied uh, that the Sicilian Mafia existed for many years. So I, I don't put much stock in the FBI or security services myself. I think they're very bent and weird. Now, let me throw some hard statistics at you. Recently, there were some statistics coming out claiming that worldwide, 12 million people are in sexual bondage. And they, these are people who are basically children. There's an organization out there called Not For Sale. People can look this up on the internet and Google. Not For Sale is a human rights advocacy book uh, group which uh, works to stop human trafficking. And they've generated some statistics concerning human trafficking. They claim that worldwide there are at least 27 million people who are human sex slaves. Jesus. Primarily sex slaves. 80% of them are women and 50% of them are children. Now, here is where it gets really bizarre. These people are kidnapped or sold into slavery. And as I say, they're mostly little girls and young women. That comprises about 80% of them. They are forced to sexually service men and, and women too. And when, when they're not sexually servicing people, when it's quiet at the bordello or the massage parlor or the whorehouse, they're forced to do harsh physical labor like assembling cell phones. Oh, God. Again, this is from this group, Not For Sale, which is what they're trying to do is set up an underground railroad to rescue these slaves. Yeah. And this is much bigger than the uh, African slavery we had that we fought the Civil War over. This is like massively more than that. This is global. Yeah. Now, the other statistic they give out for this human trafficking is that these people who are captured and put into sexual bondage, they have about a four-year life expectancy. Okay, either they're beaten to death by their captors, or they uh, usually catch a horribly deadly sexually transmitted disease like uh, AIDS or hepatitis C. Yeah, and they don't get any treatment, obviously. And they don't get any treatment, and when they get, they either die of the disease or they're abandoned by their tormentors and they just, they die. Yeah. They're, from the day that they're captured, they'll be dead in four years. In that four-year period, they'll be forced to sexually service people in bordellos and do uh, very tedious assembly jobs, as I said, like cell phones and ballpoint pens and things like that. Now, here's another shocker that Not For Sale has stated, that if you live in the United States or Western Europe, you have at one time in your life held in your hand an object that was assembled by one of these sex slaves. Whoa. Okay, that's you, me, and anybody listening has held an object that was assembled by a sex slave. Okay, 
uh, not for sale. Like I say, they want to set up an underground railroad and try and get these people out of it. Let's look at what they're up against. The primary people who kidnap these women are various international mafia groups. Yeah. That includes the Russian mafia, the uh, Chinese triads, the Japanese Yazuka, which is the Japanese mafia, and the South American cocaine cartels. Mm -hmm. Okay? These are the primary generators of the international human, human trafficking sex slave cabal, which, as I said, enslaves 27 million people, and they're constantly capturing more people because they only have a four-year life expectancy. Right. So, you know, it's like they're moving drugs, they're moving guns, and they're moving humans. It's just another yes. product to these people. Yes. It's, it's another sideline for these international criminals. Yeah. Now, let's take a look at the occult and esoteric aspects of these criminal organizations. Mm -hmm. The Sicilian Mafia, which is all tied up in this, their initiation ceremony, they actually take the card of a saint and they prick their finger and put blood on the card of a Catholic saint and they set it on fire in their hands. And, you know, it doesn't burn them. They just toss it around till it burns away. Yeah. And they say, as this card burns, so shall I burn. So they are taking a blood occult ritual to the dark side, okay? And um, there's a lot of stuff on the Internet people can look up about the Sicilian Mafia uh, initiation ceremony and how it is an occult satanic ceremony. Let's look at the Japanese Yasuka. What they do is they cut their finger, another blood ritual, and put it in a glass of wine, uh, sake, during their initiation ritual. Mm -hmm. And they drink the blood, uh, they, uh, they drink their own blood, and the other people in the organization drink from this at the initiation ceremony, and they vow to be loyal to the Yazuka for all eternity. So <laughs> we're looking at beyond death, they're supposed to be loyal to this occult organization. Let's look at the Russian Mafia. Now, the Russian Mafia isn't uh, known too well for occult ceremonies and rituals, but when you look at their tattoos, they are clearly and distinctly satanic. They have all kinds of satanic type um, uh, inverted crosses, very bizarre stuff. So there's a satanic element there. Now, the South American drug cartels that you see who are, run, are doing all these murders on our border, there's more people killed last year on the U.S.-Mexican border than in all of the Middle East combined. Mm -hmm. Okay, and you don't hear about it, and Glenn Beck doesn't tell you about this. <laughs> you know, he's too busy harping on where Obama went on vacation. Yeah. But, you know, but uh, when you look at them, for example, they there's a book called The Killing Fields, A Harvest of Women. And uh, this reporter from Texas started 
hearing about women going missing in Laredo, Texas, which is right over the border. And what she discovered when she went down there was uh, young women have been kidnapped by these drug cartels and tortured, and they would burn uh, satanic symbols into their dead bodies like triangles and pentagrams and very bizarre, strange stuff. Now, these are also the same people who are involved in human trafficking. But part of their initiation ceremony is to butcher a young, rape and rape a young girl and then butcher her and carve these satanic symbols into them. Now, there's a big cartel down there called La Familia, the family, mm-hmm. and um, they are also involved in trafficking children. And their leader, it's very bizarre. He is, he has a new age occult kind of religion. It's, it's a cartel, La Familia, but it's also a cult. Yeah. Okay. It's very bizarre and hard to understand, but he justified, he doesn't let any of his members use drugs. They're only allowed to sell them, but they have this bizarre book of sayings that he wrote that are very occult and new age. There again, they take an eternal vow. After death, they will serve this leader, the head of La Familia. You, you know, you can look this up on Google yourself. Yeah. So my point being is you brought up the subject of human trafficking. Let's just do a quick breakdown of what I just said, a quick review. You have 27 million people. Some of them, they'll be treated more mercifully and murdered right away in a ritual. Uh, that's a very small number. The vast majority of the 27 million that are alive today will be dead in four years, and they'll be replaced by another 27 million. You know, it's a constantly recycling thing. And all of these criminal organizations that run this are occult and satanic in nature. So what we're looking at here in this human trafficking, which, again, I'll say the FBI denied existed, is an international cabal of criminal Satanists. Now, um, it's very strange. If you go to my webpage, williamhkennedy.com, and go to the cults multimedia page, Mm -hmm. I have uh, documentaries on these different mafia groups. And the Japanese government has cracked down on the Yazuka to a great extent. So they've kind of moved their operations out of Japan and they're now heavily trafficking uh, mostly Chinese children that they buy or kidnap. And a bunch of Chinese uh, children turned up in Italy when they broke up a pedophile ring there. And they were sold to them by the uh, Yazuka. So you have these criminal organizations buying and selling children on an international level, and these mafia groups are all satanic in orientation. So for people who say there's no international satanic cult, uh, just that alone, just look at those grim statistics, 27 million people. It's unbelievable that there's satanic ritual abuse. It's unbelievable that there is a satanic cabal of criminal gangs out there. Yeah. It, it's unbelievable, as I said earlier, that this has even infiltrated the Roman Catholic Church. And every show I go on, Tim, it's inevitable, 
and I, you know, I broke records on a few other shows. I will get emails saying that you're trying to just revive the satanic panic of the 1980s to make money or whatever. Well, look at the hard facts. Forget about me, okay, and forget about Tim, and forget about all the radio people. I want everyone out there to check these facts for themselves. You can get a lot of information, as I said, on my page, WilliamHKennedy.com, uh, and the free multimedia pages. If they don't want to do that, just Google it, okay? Look at the Not For Sale page. Look at what some of the initiation ceremonies of these criminal gangs are and make up your own mind, ultimately. The facts are there. Now, as you know, Tim, uh, the mainstream media are basically run by corporations who just want to sell us things we don't really want or need. Yeah. And people like uh, Glenn Beck and Rush Limbaugh and Michael Savage and all of these people that Larry King was now retiring, all of these people will never, ever do exposés like you'll get on this program and other programs like this because the people that control those corporations are themselves involved in those elite secret societies like the Bilderberg Group, Skull and Bones, Bohemian Grove. So they're the, the people who pay Glenn Beck and Michael Savage are actually involved in satanic occult groups themselves. Yeah. And in, in, in order to deflect attention off that fact, they will just leave it unreported in the mainstream press, or they will ridicule things like we do. Yeah. You know, that's, that's essentially, they'll either ignore it or ridicule it. They'll never report on it. If it does get some reporting, it usually goes on the back burner. It's in the far end of the newspaper are buried on a web page, are shown at two o'clock in the morning, or you know they'll never you'll never hear about this. Most people don't know about the criminal gang La Familia who are killing thousands of people on our border every year. No one knows they even exist, and that's part of there again. I'll go back to this overarching satanic cabal, and what a lot of people say to me is a lot of these groups at the top fight amongst themselves. Okay, you will expect that for this ultimate alpha male anti-Christ figure to emerge. Right, they're all kind of jockeying for position. To they're going to jockey to be that. Of course right. they're going to compete. You know, hell's fill, filled with uh, people who don't get along. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's the definition of hell. But that's, I just want people and listeners to consider that, what I'm saying, and most importantly, check the facts for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Be extremely skeptical. Be extremely cynical, but check the facts for yourself. Go into it with any preconceived notions you have, but analyze the hard facts which you can get on the Internet and double-check them. Now, I haven't met anyone who's done that who's disagreed with me. You know, a lot of people don't like my religious perspective. Okay, I'm not telling you to convert to anything. You know, I'm just telling you to look at the hard facts and the truth of what I'm saying and ask yourself, 
how do these tie in together? You know, why are all these occult images on the Redbox machine when I take my kid to buy stuff? What, how, how might that tie into the international human trafficking trade? Yeah. You know, try and make these connections on your own. Ask questions. Examine the evidence. Make up your own mind, certainly. But I just urge people, look at the hard facts. Talk about it with friends. Go on Internet chat rooms. And there's a lot of resources that, that the Internet can provide uh, for you to verify what I'm saying and, and what other people like. My, I'm not alone in this. There's a lot of people oh, yeah. out there. Alex Jones, Jeff Rents, um, Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. I know you write for their ma I've read your stuff in their magazine. So there's, there are a lot of people out there doing this, but you got to seek them out a bit. And as far as the mainstream, the Michael Savages and the Sean Hannity's and the Oprah Winfrey's, these people have betrayed us. And ironically enough, Father uh, Malachi Martin was on Oprah in the 80s, and he was on Sean Hannity in the 80s. Yeah, before they were very famous, and he was saying these exact things that I am saying now. And Oprah and Sean Hannity, when it was convenient for them to have these things on to get ratings and talk about Satanism, they did. The second they entered into the higher echelons of our multimedia, they stopped immediately because they were ordered to stop. Yeah, exactly. And look how successful they are now. So Look how successful they are. Uh, um, Father Martin was on Sean Hannity's show four or five times uh, when he was on WABC in New York before he was a national figure. And they used to talk about voodoo and Satanism and exorcism. When, when's the last time you saw anything like that on his show? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Never. Never. You know, he's, he's too busy, uh, you know, making Hillary Clinton ugly jokes and uh, God knows what. And it, it's just, it's all very, very bizarre. Now, so, it, oh, go ahead, go ahead. You, you see a lot of weird connections, too, like um, Goldman Sachs actually short sold stock in BP before this, you know, big leak occurred. Interesting. Okay, so you, what, do you, what do you make of that? What do you make of this whole oil spill then? A very bizarre is Hayward, the guy who everyone is mad at. Yeah, he's a Bilderberger. He's in the Bilderberg group. Yeah, um, a lot of people in the Bilderberg group made money off of this oil spill, uh, particularly Goldman Sachs, who uh, they sold uh, like one third of their stocks and uh, bet against BP and wound up making hundreds of millions of dollars off this. Hmm. You know, and the way this is, uh, it, it makes me very suspicious. Hayward's a Bilderberger, and, you know, the thing's still leaking as we speak, and who are they asking to fix it? Uh, Kevin Costner, who's a movie actor. Yeah. yeah. You know, that w wouldn't, like, the head of maritime engineering at, at, at the Naval Academy be a better choice? I think so, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, when you really think about it. So uh, a lot of this I put under the general heading of managed chaos. And uh, Alex Jones does a lot on this theme. He will say that a lot of these things are planned just to disrupt and disorient the general population. Yeah. 
And ultimately, these world leaders, they're constantly talking about population control anyway. It's a big hot-button issue for them. Yeah. And I think they're going to do it one way or another. Now, uh, another guest you had on the show, he passed away, Jerry E. Smith. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Love yeah, Jerry, he, yeah. He died of pancreatic cancer. Very sad. But uh, he he pretty much convinced me that a lot of uh, these tropical storms in the Gulf were actually uh, manufactured. Okay. Weather warfare. Weather warfare. That was a book he wrote. And when you combine that, you know, now these storms are going to hit the Gulf with all this oil. God know, God knows what that's going to cause. Exactly. And what do you make of all the earthquakes and stuff? Is that also part of what you for? I would put country? it in this managed chaos thing because they do have the technology to do a lot of these things. Yeah. I mean, it's not it's it's not all that secret technology. You know, people near where I live, we live at, at MIT, uh, work on these sorts of things all the time. <laughs> yeah. Or in the case of this big uh, pipe leak, and they, they don't work on it, and they don't say anything, which makes me quite suspicious. Well, like you're saying, they could probably figure out a way to fix it, but they don't step up to do anything Well, about you know, when the only one they can get is uh, Kevin Costner, he's the only one with a good idea. I mean, come on. Look at those people at Harvard and MIT. Look at the people at the Mass Maritime Academy. Shouldn't they be down there working on it? They they get a movie actor. You know, we we eat our salad dressing from Paul Newman, and we we get our uh, broken oil pipes fixed by Kevin Costner. What you know, what what kind of a world are we living in when you really think about it? I, <laughs> I think they can get better people, but uh, there again, they won't because this is all part of the managed chaos. Well, let me ask you this then. I mean, we don't want to leave people left hopeless here. And obviously, like you said earlier, they need to do their own research and they need to come to their own conclusions about this. But let's preface this by saying, okay, let's assume that everything you've said here is correct. Uh, Then what do you suggest people do about this? Because this seems so far out of our hands that you, you might be better off moving to fucking Montana and getting a cabin and trying to... You know, trying to survive whatever the hell's coming down the pike and, and well, hoping to live through this mess. I mean, that's, that's the only thing I can come up with. I have a survivalist multimedia page at WilliamHKennedy.com that's filled with all kinds of information on how to subsist yourself. So I've actually looked at that and thought about that quite a bit, and it might be a... Uh, it might be one thing that people will have to do. Preparedness is very, very important. I mean, we had an ice storm here in Massachusetts a few years ago, and uh, people uh, a 25-minute drive from uh, MIT were stranded, if yeah. you remember, mm-hmm. out in the western part for a week. They didn't have power for a week or a way to get into the city. So our our system is very, very fragile. There's no two ways about it. Um, So preparedness is awfully important. You know, I tell people to get themselves and and for their family a year's supply of food and any medications they're on and nutritional supplements and don't necessarily share this information with all your neighbors. 
you know, maybe a few trusted friends, but preparedness is usually important. Um, you can't really have preparedness unless you have education. So first and foremost, people must educate themselves by listening to programs like this and other similar shows. Uh, the Internet is a huge resource. Educate yourselves and educate others and um, ultimately prepare to take care of yourself because uh, the federal government is incapable or incompetent or unwilling to take care of uh, vast members of the population in time of crisis. I give you their uh, horrible response to Katrina. Yeah, now beyond preparedness, though, I guess the question is, you know, I guess we can't do anything to stop it is what I'm trying to also get around to saying here. I mean, what do you suggest to people that want to that want to stop this this, you know, slow march towards a new world order and a one world dictator? I mean, we shit out of luck here, Bill. Uh, we're, we're moving in that direction quickly. And what I will say, our greatest defense against this, again, is education and spreading the word about it. You know, that's a huge part of what must be done if we are to overcome this. Education one, preparedness two. And uh, within education, we have to uh, network out with other people and get this information out there and get this uh, knowledge out there. You know, uh, contribute to organizations like Not For Sale who are working against it. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that are being done to stop this. And uh, everyone, certainly you want to take care of yourself and your family first, but you want to uh, educate and uh, other people and also support groups like Not For Sale, which are effectively working against this. I mean, Not For Sale actually finds these bordellos and massage parlors and rescues these captured people from them. So there is a lot you can do to help other people. At this juncture, we certainly can't count on our government. We can't count on the world government. They're just either incompetent or cruel or both. But um, to be honest with you, at this juncture, I think we could have done something 15 or 20 years ago, but we're headed towards uh, an age of barbarism and an age of mass murder. And we need to network with a few other like-minded people and just have strategies for personal preparedness and survival. You can get a lot of that at WilliamHKennedy.com for free at the Survivalist Multimedia page. I'm sorry to be so doom and gloom and grim, but if you're able to take care of yourself and you're prepared, I don't think the government will bother much with you because they have a lot of other people to worry about. But you do want to strategize on getting food and clean water and future plans for yourself as if the government has collapsed. Um, if people go to WilliamHKennedy.com to the survivalist pages, a clip I have there called Oil Apocalypse from the History Channel. Yeah. And uh, they just ran a scenario where uh, the world's oil supply was uh, cut off or shut down. And uh, the United States, in this scenario that the History Channel did, quickly turned into a Mad Max-like 
society. Yeah. Where people were fighting over limited resources and gangs took over cities. And uh, it's really quite horrible. People can go to Google and just plug in Oil Apocalypse History Channel if they don't want to go to my webpage. But watch that because I sincerely think uh, that is what is coming. Uh, ultimately, we want to protect ourselves and our families. Uh, I've pretty much given up on the government. I, you know, I, I like I say, I, I, I don't think they they could manage anything anyway. If if anything, they t they tend to be against the individual. So there again, a combination of education and preparedness is the best thing people out there can do. I, you know, I, I wish I could give you a, a, a nicer response to the uh, ultimate conclusions I've made, but there is hope for individuals and individual groups of people. That's right. I'm headed to Everett if any of this comes down, so don't don't, well, I, don't I lock me out, man. I won't be here. So oh, shit. <laughs> I've got an escape. You can come to where I left. <laughs> oh, no. Take I've me with you on the escape, dude. Well, well, we'll hook up later and talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll make my pitch then. Well, all right. So we're, we're headed to the end here. What's uh? We've covered a bunch of different stuff here. Obviously, you, you're like I said, you, you'd spend months on your website and just digging into all the material on there. It's really, I got to take my hat off to you. It's an amazing collection of material there um, that will keep people busy for months on end, just just digging through what you've got on the website. What do you have coming down the pike that people can get their hands on? They want to order, you know, books, uh, or like you said, I think you said you got a DVD or a Something like that coming out soon as well. So, you know, what's right. yeah, stuff well, you get coming up? Well, go to WilliamHKennedy.com. You can uh, buy my book, Satanic Crime. I also have a book, Occult History Collected Essays, uh, which is free. People can look at. That's the, the articles that R.A. Gilbert and Houston Smith published that I wrote. Then they published it. Tracy, my articles for Dagobert's Revenge when Tracy R. Twyman was the editor, so there's a lot of free stuff. Uh, I made a documentary DVD of my book, Lucifer's Lodge, which I have done. I just have to work out some sound problems on it, but that will be out in the fall. And what I did there is I just collected some uh, news stories from television and uh, put them, uh, stitched them together into a DVD with some commentary by myself which is real interesting because this stuff is hard to come by. That should be out in the fall. And uh, like I say, if nothing else, go to WilliamHKennedy.com and enjoy the massive amount of uh, free information and buy something if you want to, if you can afford it. I, I greatly appreciate the support. But that's there for people to uh, enjoy. You don't have to register. You don't have to, you know, I won't even know you were there. You'll just be a number on my hit thing. There you go. Yeah. Now, what about what about uh, Sphinx Radio? Talk a little bit about this, so people know what that's all about. Well, Sphinx Radio is a radio program I started in 2005, and that is very similar to your show we're doing now, Tim. I have a lot of the same guests. I've uh, I was able through various connections to get uh, some people that normally don't do alternative radio, like I have uh, an interview with Noam Chomsky. Oh wow. 
I have an interview with uh, Norman Finkelstein, who wrote The uh, Holocaust Industry, very controversial person. I've got uh, Mark Juergensmeyer, who was the head of the uh, American Academy of Religion. I have uh, Colin Wilson interviews, a couple I did with him, Brad Steiger. I have an interview, uh, Jacob Needleman, uh, Paul Krasner, really interesting um, interviews about uh, all sorts of topics, primarily paranormal, but uh, some other stuff as well. Uh, I have some commentaries, uh, book and film reviews that I did. So uh, they can go to sphinxradio.com. My full archives are free there. And uh, <clears throat> those are that's kind of one of my favorite things to do is dialogue with other writers and thinkers. It's a lot of fun. But um, I have a few people on there you don't see on some of the other shows, so that's really worth taking a uh, look at. And really, the free material on my page is williamhkennedy.com, sphinxradio.com. For the free stuff, it's well worth a visit. And, uh, you know, I get over 4,000 hits a day, and people are all over those web pages watching all these great documentaries and reading all these free ebooks and free interviews I did. And I absolutely love it. I love that there are that many people taking advantage of this information I put together for them. Uh, I love to educate other people. I've taught on the grammar school middle school, high school, and university level, but I love my internet stuff more than any of that because it just reaches so many people in a user-friendly manner, mm -hmm. and uh, there's a lot of, lot of great stuff on there, you know? Absolutely. Uh, a lot of worthwhile information, and um, people there, again, educate yourself. The, the school systems and universities have let us down. They're controlled by the corporations, so People have to educate themselves, and my web pages are a way they can link to uh, very worthwhile information and learn, you know, very self-paced, but good stuff, not propaganda. Stuff Absolutely, that, yeah. That will make people think, and my ultimate goal is to have people examine the facts and draw their own conclusions, even if they disagree with me. I don't care. I would rather see them think things out themselves and think for themselves rather than be brainwashed by our mainstream media and uh, corporate feudal lords who are out to ultimately enslave us. There you go. That's the perfect place to uh, wrap it up. Well, Bill, I, I, I totally echo your sentiments here. Definitely people want to check out your website. As I said, they'll they'll find so much material there they they'll lose their minds just going crazy looking at all the stuff they're going to love it um and I'm glad we could bring it to the attention of the BOA audio listeners and your material and your thoughts on this stuff is fascinating you've been looking at this since you were a little kid and it's really amazing to see where your research has taken you and your perspective on this crazy world we're living in today. So it's been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate you coming on the show and uh you know Everett's only a stone's throw from BOA HQ, so I'm sure this is just the first of many conversations you and I will have, both on the air and off. So thank you once again for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, and God bless your audience. That does it for this week's edition of BOA Audio Season 5. Big, big, super huge thanks, of course, to William H. Kennedy for coming on the show. Be sure to dive on into his website. It is some mind-blowing stuff, a veritable cornucopia of occult and esoteric readings 
and films. Of course, the website is www.williamhkennedy.com. All one word, williamhkennedy.com. Check it out. Moving right along now, it's time for BOA Audio Listener Feedback. And as I teased in our last edition of this segment, we're going to go old school, straight up emails that have been sent to me. And we're going to do some positive emails. Because it seems like I've been reading a lot of negative or hypercritical emails here at the end of the show. And I don't want to give the impression that that's all we get. Because we get a lot of great emails from awesome folks around the world. First one comes from Michael in Shanghai. International listener, you got to love that. Shanghai, how are we even reaching Shanghai? I figured they would shut us down over there in China, but apparently not. The BOA nation spreads to China thanks to Michael. So here's what he has to say. I have so many good things to tell you about your show. You have by far the best esoteric show on the Internet. You get great guests, a professional website, and ask the right questions. Esoterica is an art. You are its Michelangelo. Keep doing what you're doing. This bar fight in a bubble that is Esoterica is an amazing, enlightening, and fantastic journey. Thank you for pioneering this adventure. Side note, how haven't you figured out yet that the Apollo was a hoax? You need to have Jarrah White on the show. He is the grandson of the Apollo moon landing conspiracy. He has one million plus hits for his Moon Faker series on YouTube. Take a look at him. Have your listeners do the same. Michael in Shanghai. Now that I'm reading this, I'm kind of wondering if Michael was just so nice to me so that I would read this at the end and then plug Mr. Gerard White's Moonfaker series, but I hope that's not the case. Nonetheless, I really appreciate the kind words. Whether you met them or not, Michael, I'll accept them, and they made me feel great. The Michelangelo of Esoterica, that's blasphemy. With regards to Gerard White, I am totally unfamiliar with his stuff, but I will definitely take a look at it. The moon hoax theory, I wouldn't say I've completely uh, shut it down. I'm sort of on the fence about that. I keep it in my gray basket. I definitely think there was something fishy going on with the whole moon landing in the moon program and NASA in general. But a moon hoax? I don't know. Maybe I need to talk to Gerard White. Anyway, I'll check out his stuff. I suggest the BOA Audio listeners do as well. Michael, once again, thank you for your kind words. You really have humbled me with this thoughtful email. So thank you so much, sir. Our next email comes from Albert in Temple City, California, and here's what he has to say. I just heard the show with the Paratopia crew and noticed that you have some insecurity with regards to your show. Just because some newcomers have decided to start their own podcasts is irrelevant. You really are an artist. Your audio is superb. I can't stand when levels are all over the place, or when I can't hear the guest, or when there's too much background. You don't have that problem. I also like the originality that you provide. So don't sweat it. You're the pro, and they're the posers. Also, your intro music is the best I've heard, not to mention the sound bites. As far as the new website is concerned, love it. Always enjoy the writing. Endless tons of fun. Albert in Temple City, California. I told you these were going to be positive this week, folks. I'm sure there's some people out there that are rolling their eyes. I did not write these emails. These are real emails from listeners. Thank you, Albert in Temple City, California. You're the man, dude. Another guy calling me an artist. Uh, I do what I can, folks. I try to put out, you know, handcrafted audio for all you guys. I don't push it out through a cookie cutter. Every episode is really focused in on all the little details. So I appreciate that folks notice that and 
that they appreciate it and write to me to thank me. I mean, I'm just totally humbled by not just Albert's email, but the previous email. You guys are awesome. With regards to the insecurity uh, that may have been on display in the Paratopia episode, you know, I was just kind of blowing off steam. I've been doing this for five years. It wears on you after a while, and that episode was sort of to provide people with a little peek behind the curtain as to, you know, what podcasting hosts talk about when they're not hosting podcasts. So I wouldn't read too much into it. It was really uh, sort of an in-the-moment feeling. BOA Audio is not going anywhere. We've got tons of great stuff coming at you over the next few weeks and months and hopefully years to come. So don't read too much into my kvetching on the Paratopia episode. I just like to bitch sometimes. Nonetheless, thank you so much for writing in, Albert. You are the man. I'm glad you're enjoying the writings at BOA as well. BOA staff, they're awesome. We're going to get to thanking them in just a moment. But let me give you the information on how to get in touch with me if you want to shoot me an email or some correspondence for BOA Audio listener feedback. It doesn't have to be as glowing as these two emails this week. I just wanted to read them because they made me feel so good, and I want to thank these guys. You have no idea how much these kind of emails mean when you put so much work into the program. Here is how you get in touch with me if you want to be a part of BOA Audio listener feedback. You can send us your constructive criticism I really enjoy that as well from the thoughtful listeners. You can write to boaaudio at hotmail.com or just go to Banal of America and click the contact button. That'll give you all the information you need to know. And the last big method is you can head on over to the official BOA forum, theusofe.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com. We're going to have a whole section there devoted to the PopCast initiative as well. I'll talk more about that on the PopCast initiative. But you can go there to talk about BOA Audio. Each episode has its own thread. You can also post some guest suggestions. You can join up and discuss pop culture and the world of esoterica as well. It is BOA Audio's Paranormal Playground, theusofe.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com. And, of course, I'm on all those great social networking sites, although I barely check the MySpace. I'm still on there. More of a Facebook guy now, as well as Twitter, but I'm on all those sites. So find me. Just punch in Banal, B-I-N-N-A-L-L, and you will find me very easily. Friend me, follow me, poke me, whatever you want to do. Just don't ask me to join your vampire mafia. Up next, let's thank the amazing BOA staff, Leslie, Chiron, Regan Lee, Joe V, Tina Senna, Rochelle Hawks, Richard Thomas, A.M. Murphy, Marla Pena, our contributing cartoonist, Andy Carollin, and our webmaster, Jeremy Boston. We've gotten just a ton of feedback from folks on BOA 2.0, some of it largely positive, some of it with some constructive criticism. Trust me, we're reading all the emails, we're filtering them in through the system, to try and figure out how to get everything up to what everybody wants. It's not an easy task. It's quite a bit of work, but we've got a lot done so far, and we're hoping to sort of unleash the changes on people soon. Since the last time you've heard from me, we've got a bunch of different new columns at Ben All of America from the BOA staff. Leslie's Gray Matters is titled We Don't Believe Everything, and it talks about the world of ufology and how the mainstream seems to think that UFO enthusiasts believe any story that comes down the pike, but as Leslie says, that is certainly not the case. That's Gray Matters. 
Marla Pena's Shadow of the Shinigami, titled My Skepticism of a Skeptic, talks about her take on the film Here Be Dragons, an introduction to critical thinking. Marla Pena takes the resident skeptic of that film to task in Shadow of the Shinigami. Rochelle Hawks looks at the highway as liminal space in her latest edition of Medusa's Ladder, another trippy column from Rochelle Hawks. Definitely want to check that one out as well. Medusa's Ladder, the highway as liminal space. And finally, Regan Lee's Trickster's Realm checks in with Twilight Language, Cold War Inklings, and talks about some weird sort of connections between the Russian language and Russia and the news, and kind of ponders what that's all about. That's the latest edition of Trickster's Realm, Twilight Language, Cold War Inklings, Plus, we got an all-new Tina Senna's Esotericana, another new Leslie's Grey Matters, and an all-new Richard's Room 101 coming at you this week at BOA. So stay tuned. The BOA columnists are churning out some top-notch reading material once again. They had a little bit of downtime here as the summer picked up, but now they're really kicking it into another gear here with a whole slew of new material. Hats off and big thanks, as always, to the BOA staff. They are awesome. We say it week in and week out, but it is the truth, my friends. If you're only listening to Banal of America Audio and you're not reading the columns at BOA, then you're only getting half the story. BOA, make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. Almost done here with the end cap this week. We got another little bit of business to take care of, of course, and that is the donation request. I got to tell you, folks, times are really tough for me right now. I don't harp on it. I don't really uh, post anything at BOA about asking for donations. I don't even mention it on the forums. But we desperately, desperately need your donations to help keep the whole operation up and running. Things have gotten pretty tight here in the summertime. And whatever you can do to help us out would be huge. How can you do that? That's simple. There's two ways to do it. If you do the online method, you just go to BOA and click the PayPal button. They'll walk you through the process. If you prefer the snail mail route, that's really simple. You just mail your donations to Tim Benall, B is in Boston, I-N-N-A-L-L, P.O. Box 232, Pinehurst, Mass, 01866. And you spell Pinehurst, P-I-N-E-H-U-R-S-T. So altogether, it's Tim Benall, P.O. Box 232, Pinehurst, Mass, 01866. As always, folks, no donation is too small, and all donations go towards keeping the website and the audio series up and running, freely available, and commercial-free for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. Next week on the program, we're welcoming back our longtime friends Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman for a discussion on their new book, The Deja Vu Enigma, A Journey Through the Anomalies of Mind, Memory, and Time, I know I teased them coming on the show a few weeks ago, but I can promise you that they'll be on the program next week because the interview is in the can. I literally taped it a few hours ago, and trust me, much like last year's interview, this year's conversation was a lot of fun. We had just a shitload of laughs in this conversation, but also covered a ton of mind-blowing esoteric and new science material. We'll be exploring not only deja vu, but a number of strange elements surrounding the mind, consciousness, amnesia, fugue states, the nature of reality, voodoo, placebos, ghost hunting, 
and a whole bunch of other really cerebral topics with two top-notch researchers in the world of esoterica. I'd put Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman up against any pair of investigators and researchers out there. They are really tremendous scholars of the esoteric. That's why we bring them back every year on the program. Marie Jones, Larry Flaxman, the Deja Vu Enigma, next week on BOA Audio. And on that note, we close the book here on another edition of BOA Audio. Big, big thanks once again to William H. Kennedy for coming on the show. Big thanks to Michael and Albert for their very cool emails for this week's edition of BOA Audio listener feedback. And, of course, big, big, super huge thanks to all you great folks out there who have been supporting this program here throughout Season 5 and all of our preceding seasons The BOA Audio listeners, you guys are the best. I do this for you. It is exhausting. It is difficult work, but it's also just sheer joy to be producing this program for all you folks out there. So thank you for your support. Once again, thank you for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Benall, thanking you for listening and signing off.